Hello, and welcome to the Acolytes of Merlin. Today, we will be discussing Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Safe to say, the most controversial Star Wars movie, I would say, in terms of its varied uh, and differing opinions. Uh, so, uh, I am Johnny, and with me tonight are Matthew, John, Hello. and Brian. Stop. Hello there. <laughs> uh, okay, so at a high level, what did everyone think of the movie? Uh, both uh, including either expectations with because there is a there a lot of the discussion around this movie there's a, there's a big meta discussion to be had around this movie so either meta thoughts or your thoughts about just the movie itself <laughs> I'm going to subvert expectations and say that it was okay alright okay. I, I oh go ahead no, I, gonna, I think the movies the the whole point of the movie was to subvert expectations um as a you know the line from luke that was so prominently featured in the trailers this is not going to go the way you think um and it really didn't but i thought i remember leaving the theater thinking i need to see it again but that's the only star wars movie i've seen that i thought could challenge empire it doesn't beat empire but it was the only one after the first viewing where I thought that could challenge it. Um, but I think as we'll get into, well, the strength, the highs are high. There are some low lows throughout the movie, but overall it was great. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, I think that the the movie, when I walked out, I my initial impression was that that it blew my mind on what Star Wars is and could be. I thought it was going to open up a new set of possibilities for the for the Star Wars universe. I think it did. Um, and I would agree that I think that it's my second favorite movie in the franchise. I would say that it's uh, it's not quite Empire Strikes Back, uh, but I think some of its themes and its high points were uh really really exceptional um but i do understand why it's controversial and i can't wait to hear other people's opinions on this yeah i kind of echo what brian said in that i i was blown away when i initially went to see it in in terms of how much i at least both the subverting expectations how much i enjoyed the high points uh at this point, I think probably it, it's kind of it's middle of the pack in general for me because the, the hot it has my favorite storyline in the sequel trilogy, but it also has my I wouldn't it's not at least favorite storyline in the sequel trilogy, but the the lows are pretty low um, or at the very least feel like a different movie, which I'm sure we'll get into. So it, it's the movie as a whole is a mixed bag for me. Um, more positive than negative, but overall a mixed bag. I, I too was on a high, uh, on it, on, in the theater, um, that, that, uh, dripped away over time. Yeah, that's, that's a theme with me with all of the, all of the Disney movies not called Vogue One. <laughs> with Solo being kind of its own, kind of its own thing. 
So it didn't start very high. It was, yeah. And yeah, when we get to it, I, I think it's mostly fine and with a few cool parts, but. Um, That's for another podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, I do like what somebody was saying, though, about this movie, about opening, you know, what can Star Wars can be? Because something I was thinking about when I was watching this movie, especially watching it back after seeing more of Ryan Johnson's work, is that this is such a Ryan Johnson movie. Um, whereas everything else that's come before in Star Wars has always been either by George Lucas or done in the style of George Lucas. And I think, you know, for the, you think there's some people who went in and were, came out really not enjoying this movie. And because again, it subverted those expectations because this is Ryan Johnson's style. You see, you know, be it filming film techniques. I believe this is the first and potentially, no, I think the first time we use flashbacks in Star Wars. Um, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Because I, I think I, I even remember see, thinking that in the theater, like, oh my god, this is an actual flash. We've never had flashbacks. Like, we've referenced, you know, oh, I fought in the Clone Wars, and I guess, you know, and that's this abstract thing way out there. But here, no, we're actually going to see, you know, this moment that we're talking about. And, you know, especially as the universe is expanding and more filmmakers, more creators are coming in to the franchise, I think that kind of starts with Ryan Johnson bringing his very unique style. Um, you know, the, his other um, signature work, Knives Out, you know, he's like Oprah giving away plot twists. Like, you get a plot twist, you get a plot twist, you get a plot twist, and you see that in this movie almost almost too much at some points. But um, I really like that he's able to come and put his own spin on this. Yes, and I think... Uh, you know, looking back at The Force Awakens, talking about um, the original vision of Disney with the sequel trilogy, um, trying to play it safe at times, uh, certainly with The Force Awakens, um, and, and to some extent, The, the Rise of Skywalker. Um, I think Ryan Johnson just to- did a total 180 and spun it on its head. Um I think that's going to end up being the biggest issue with the sequel trilogy is that there's two wildly contrasting styles um, that end up creating a non-coherent trilogy. Um, But as far as individual movies go, Ryan Johnson took the possibilities of Star Wars and opened them up. And for me, I'm very grateful for that because every movie before that fit a very classic George Lucas picture including the force awakens which is a great movie but i thought was actually one of the least original works in the entire star wars universe mm-hmm. oh yeah and i mean jj abrams that, that was the second star wars he, movie he made after star trek or the 2009 star trek <laughs> uh, <laughs> which i enjoy but it's it's it's, it's his audition for star wars uh and but yeah, it's yeah. The Force Awakens is definitely it, it, it's J.J. Abrams, but it's very much this is a Star War. This is the Star Wars movie you've been waiting for, and kind of also the one you were expecting. This is whereas it, this is go ahead. It's a literal stereotype of Star Wars. Yeah, stereotype and, and mimicker. And yeah, it, yeah I, I feel, I feel, I feel strongly on both of them. Like it's. It is extremely unoriginal. Um, but anyway. I I think that this this movie is the first time that we 
realized that there were uh going to be some uh continuity difficulties in in the sequel trilogy mm. um and it's 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 and something that like we think of um with looking back at the whole trilogy but uh we were were first seeing it in this movie just in terms of the number of ways that Johnson was going against the current of the force awakens and that was um uh risky but salvageable but really only if he had finished it out too because his his vision was so singular that i really think that only he could have brought it home in the last movie and then fortunately that didn't happen yeah i would i would agree with that it's it 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 feel because the movie feels in some ways complete in the sense that it's it okay so this will be the spoiler warning for all of the last jedi and all of the basically all the star wars movies up to this point maybe we'll get like a touch into rise of skywalker but i wouldn't for the most part i would just say up through the last jedi luke dying i think was the i don't think that they i think that was very much a ryan johnson decision and i think it worked for the story that he was telling but I don't think I think that the well, if there if there ever was a plan, it was not to kill off Luke in this movie. <laughs> well, the plan got disrupted because Colin Trevorrow turned out to uh, not be suitable to direct the third installment. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, but now that there's there's leaks out there about what his third one was going to be, I have a suspicion that the leaks have been uh maybe doctored up to look better than they actually were when they were pitched um but i think the plan went out the window when you replaced the director for the third one yeah um and also just where you leave this movie i was actually i do remember i thought they were going to add a fourth movie um they were going to do an episode 10 or episode 9 part one and two, because I thought there was so much left to cover in this story. But I don't know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a discussion for the next podcast. Episode X. <laughs> <laughs> I which, we also, are, which we are kind of getting at some point, but not... Yeah, anyways. I mean, I already confirmed, but... Yeah. Well, I don't think they're calling it that. But. Yeah, they're not going to call it that, but... I, I think that Ryan Johnson not taking the reins in the last movie was, I think you can, I think John, you were the one who mentioned this. I think not taking the reins or or in the third movie, that lack of continuity, um, JJ Abrams, who we already know throughout his entire career is not a wildly exploratory, um, director. Um, no. And so, Choosing J.J. Abrams as a safe, trying to choose a peg a a, a straight and narrow option into an exploratory world was never going to be a good fit. And I I think, and the reason why this is relevant is because I think 
the view of the right of uh, the Last Jedi in a lot of people's minds, maybe not a lot, in a minority. I think there's a lot of hate towards the movie for 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 reasons that I think we'll get into later. That it, it is overblown out of proportion. I think there's an element of sexism um, and uh, and racism that also perter- plays into that. Um, in particular with Rose. Uh, but I, I think that it would be a very different story if Ryan Johnson was able to direct the, the Rise of Skywalker. And you do, and like in a way, you do see Disney. Oh, I mean, they they pick J.J. Abrams instead of Ryan. I mean, I don't know if there was ever like they sat these two guys down and made a choice, but they go back to J.J. Abrams as a response to the backlash to this movie. A lot of it. I mean, there's. I think legitimate reasons people cannot like this, but then there's a very loud group of people who disliked it for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, you kind of do see like Disney does kind of cave to that and go with the very safe option instead of, you know, cause part of this movie's legacy though, is what came after it did not help this movie. Whereas you look at the prequel trilogy, when you look at, you know, the Phantom Menace and attack of the clones, which I think are, were, the weaker movies probably of the entire saga, but revenge of the Sith helps those movies along so much after the fact. Yes. Mm-hmm. When the clone, the, even the clone Wars animated series, all these things strengthen those weaker movies. Whereas, you know, in the, you can say this about the entire sequel trilogy, they don't help each other. And I think that's mm-hmm. the ultimate thing. When you give this back to JJ Abrams, it kind of leaves this movie out to dry where you could have doubled down on the storylines you know, the great choices or, you know, the very interesting, um, bold, risky choices that were made in this movie, you double down on them, you definitely strengthen this movie, or you kind of walk them back, pull them 180, um, and throw the, well, I think one of the best story-making decisions of this movie completely out the window, um, with... Raise parentage. Yes. <laughs> and you just, yes. you kind of leave this movie have to dry. And I think in some ways, the long term legacy of this movie is hurt by that. I also think that uh, this movie will go down over time in a much kinder light. The reason being, I, you know, to re emphasize the point that, that sexism, uh, sexism to, to a lesser extent, racism, and to and it, to a much bigger extent, a um, a a vision of uh, in group of bandwagon uh, Star Wars fans that uh, really wanted to, I think in some ways do what they what other groups have done to other movies, other sagas, um, sort of you know review bomb uh, the movie uh, to make it look far worse than it actually is. Um, I think those all play a large role, and again. The theme about Rose, I think, is our actual really critical point to discuss here. Um, and I know we'll get to that later as we go through point through point through the movie. Um, but she became the figurehead of hate. Whereas, he, you know, it, it, they did the same thing with the Phantom Menace. You lack, well, you take such a great thing, you lash, you, you, you latch onto one serious problem, and then they become the scapegoat for the whole movie. But remember, uh, you know, and uh, I think another important point here is um, 
uh, what's his name? The guy who played Jar Jar. Um, oh, Ahmed Best. Yeah. Ahmed Best is also a black man. These are easy targets. So if from a minority perspective, uh, it's just important not to lose sight of that. It doesn't oh, have to oh, be yeah. a big part of the... Yeah, and, and th- this this was the movie. Like, the Star Wars fandom or people talking about Star Wars movies have really starting with the prequels always been... There's been a toxic element, but this was the movie that really ratcheted that up into what you folks have all said about... Uh, I forget who mentioned it, but the and there are there are there are reasons to not like these movies. There are very good reasons to not like these movies, but there are also a lot of bad. The, like Brian, like we've been saying, these there are a lot of bad faith reasons that people don't like this movie in particular. And I I don't like Rose. I think she's kind of I think she's kind of the one of the most boring parts of the movie. Um but fans took like you said, fans took that and now Kelly Marie Tran is got attacked uh, like in lots of different ways and like you said, similar to Ahmed Best in a bad faith way that has nothing to do with the actual movie and was just people acting people just acting poorly. Yeah, it's, it's people who made up their mind about the character before she even appeared on screen. Yes. I, I think the other element of it, though, is that, um, I, you know, p- people who hold those kinds of views often feel better speaking up in, in, in a crowd of sorts. And the other issues that the movie has um, probably um, acted as a wave that it rode on because everyone was able to just kind of put all of this extra toxic stuff into all of the hubbub that was already going on. And part of the reason I say that is because a lot of the targets of the um, racist and sexist attacks, and when I say a lot, I mean like two, (laughs) um, were already present in Force Awakens. And the fact that it crested with uh, the next movie... um, just it just, just kind of tells me that it 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 kind of rose as a unit um even though they were co- coming from different places am i making sense no i i can see that where there 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 was already there were already people that were saying oh disney changed the x about star wars in particular in a particular racist or sexist way we're saying that, like you said, they were saying those things about the Force Awakens, and that narrative continued with the Last Jedi. Um, they, I think the the targets of those are slightly different in this movie, but it, to your point, John, it, you end up in the same place as far as the types of attacks and critiques that are being made. People also hate change, all right, and that's an important part of this movie mm-hmm. as well. This movie is wildly different than everything else in the Star Wars universe. There is a lot of accusations about woke culture. There's a lot of accusations about, you know, everybody's just, you know, just because, you know, people don't want things to change. And, um, you know, I, I think the same generation, you know, that 
that uh, fell in love with Star Wars also came with a, a number of toxicities and biases, just like ours will as well at some point. Okay, we'll look back and people will say the same thing about us on some level. Um, but, you know, their their biases uh, had came out and, and, and this movie was a great reason to bring all these things to the forefront. Can't forget also the things that, you know, were were occurring at this time of the movie's release. Right. Um, politically, um, I, I don't think this movie was a, a, a turning point, not just for Star Wars, but in some ways um, also reflective of the greater culture uh, that we live in. As far as managing change, you have very, very little room for error. Unfortunately, if yep. you are reviving something that is nostalgic mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. want to see that on screen again. Yeah. And that's not a, that's, that's just kind of a, a point to throw in, not as a counter or anything. No, completely agree oh, with you. A trend. <laughs> and this was a big shift from The Force Awakens. It wasn't just like it was a a a small whiff in a different direction. This is a this is a one eighty, as I'm sure we'll get into here in a minute. Well, we can segue into the first big one eighty that happens almost right away in the movie, uh, and this was kind of the moment that sold me on. This when this happened, I I thought to myself, okay, I'm sold. Where are you going with this? And that's when Luke throws the lightsaber over his shoulder. <laughs> and yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, and and, and that's like because he does that, and you're think, and because in the trailers, of course, oh, the Jedi need to like, I'm the Jedi need to die, blah blah blah. I thought, okay. I know that's not really what you're going to end up saying, and there's going to be a some sort of nuanced discussion about this. I want to see why you're having the characters say this. Where exactly are you going with Luke, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um So, yeah, but but I, I but I think that moment was also I think for a lot of people some people met either physically or metaphorically left the theater when that happened. It just, and one, my favorite part about that moment was just the massive. So one of the things I actually wrote down when rewatching this for the 4,700th time was, uh, I'm very prepared to your podcast. Uh, you know, it's, this concept of the music, everything up to that moment where Ray is handing over the lightsaber, it feels like this is the beginning of something, right? And then it just stops, and he, Luke throws the lightsaber over the hill. Yeah, it just cuts. Cuts, yeah, it just cuts off. <laughs> I thought that was the first brilliant part of this movie, was the cut. That cut deep. Star Wars is usually very entertaining, Sometimes has subtle and and overly large themes, but not often or not all the time does it cut. That was a cut, and I thought that was really interesting to watch. That's a good point, and the musical the musical cues in general are used really well in this movie. It was also set us up really well, I think, for how the movie was going to unfold in in certain ways. And I think there's things we can critique on that too, but I think. It was such a shock factor that I wish I could do. I wish I could see that again in theaters for the first time. I was 
blown away. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know how to react. Like, I started laughing. I kind of like looked around, like, did did Luke really just do that and then just walk off? Because um, the other, I don't think he doesn't say anything to Ray right there. He just takes no. the saber, throws <laughs> yep. it, and he just he's gone. Uh, he just yep. pieces out. He doesn't address Ray until does he say anything to Ray? But until Chewie takes the door off, I don't. Yeah, think uh, so. Other than go away. Okay, yeah. So he says yeah. go away. <laughs> um, you know, it's just like, and it does set you up for the. Okay, this is not the Luke I remember. Um, Get off which, my very large lawn. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, he's this cranky old hermit, which is so different because you even think about, you know, especially like the trailers and just kind of sub, again back to subverting our expectations. We're expecting Luke to now fit the role of old Ben, the wise old hermit uh, who's secretly this Jedi master, and then. No, he's just an old hermit. Um, he's just cranky, and he doesn't want to be involved. And keep in mind, up to this point in Star Wars, there has been plot twists. Take away The Empire Strikes Back, which for the time, you know, Darth Vader revealing him himself as Luke's father, that was a big shock to the audiences. Um, Star Wars, for the most part, has had an element of predictability to it. Um, even my beloved animated series, including Rebels, um, has had an element of predictability to it. This was not something you could predict, or if you did, it wasn't something that was just obvious that was going to happen. And it, it, it just it, it is very interesting. I mean, the last time that we saw Luke, he was this just this uh, just ultra, even in in the darkness of like Return of the Jedi, is just this. Um, ultra optimistic guy at his core. And so I immediately am asking myself when I see that, I'm like, what, what, what made him do this? What made, what hit, made him become this? I want more from that, uh, sh- from that action. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually one, one critique I would make here, um, and something I noticed like, when I watched it again this time, is there? There's a lot of time on on Octo. Uh, there's a lot of time on that island um, that maybe lose a little, maybe a little slower than it needs to. Um, just I, I you know, it. Oh god. No, oh no, finish what you were gonna say. I I was going to say I I'm not saying this moment. I'm just saying there was a very large amount of time actually spent on Octo doing all kinds of different things. Um. And actually, rewatching it, I actually thought about. I mean, we'll talk about Cantobite and, and you know that's an obvious uh, low hanging fruit. But I actually think there was actually a large amount of time, at least an extra probably five or ten minutes in the movie, spent in Octo that maybe wasn't strictly necessary. Um, see, I it's okay, actually I can get bashed here. No, see, I actually think the opposite. This is my my favorite part. The whole. Luke Ray, everything with Luke Ray and Kylo in this movie is my favorite part of the sequel trilogy. And I would agree. And, and I think almost, I can't really think of many. I, I, I on my on first my first watch though, I would maybe agree with that, but I can't really think of much on Octo that I would cut. I think the only, issue. God. I think the issue with it is that it's it's such an uncomfortable contrast between. Because like in in some ways this movie, not too much, but does mirror Empire and how you kind of yeah. have 
an A story and a B story, like an Empire, yeah. you have Luke and Yoda and Han and Leia doing their thing. But the contrast here between, you know, Luke, Kylo, Ray, and um, Finn, Rose, Poe, and what they're doing, you have, like, this time crunch, you know, we're up against the clock, we gotta do this, you know, super secret heist thing going on over here, and then you got this very slow-moving, slow-burning story uh, on the other side, and, and and I think there's it's somewhat dis- uncomfortable because the other thing, like you get the feeling, you know, not that I want to get too nitty gritty on the timelines, but it feels like you know Ray spends a lot of time on Octo, but you're seeing on the other side of it, this is happening within what the span of I think they say 18 hours between. I, yeah. Yeah, so it's something like that. So it's like, okay, so how much time is she really spending on Octo? Is this all going down in less than a day? Um, I, I did have that thought of of there there is some sort of timeline, like like when she's doing her training montages, and I'm thinking, and say in Empire or whatever, most training montages, it's usually like at least a couple of days or a couple of weeks, maybe. But I'd had that thought when she's doing like her lightsaber staff training and such. I'm like, how much time is she actually spending doing this relative to, <laughs> like, how how relative to how even skilled she gets or not, uh, the other stuff happening in the movie. Not that it's it a made... huge thing, but but I, I was actually going to say, Matt, I think that's a really good point. Um, and you know, maybe I'll change maybe my thought process a little bit, which is one of the reasons I love doing these is yeah you're right maybe maybe it has to do with the contrast to the to the pace of the other things that's going on throughout the movie as well and again it's not a big deal to me but you know just trying to be in all fairness even though it's my favorite movie or one of my favorites you know there's definitely things that that are that are fair critiques here yeah it doesn't help that the fast-paced plot is actually the boring plot but we can get into that <laughs> ah. later, later but um yeah. yeah i feel like the only other time we saw is that that kind of contrast was the the end of return of the jedi b- between um the like the, the that that throne room uh, yes. c- scene in the new death star and uh well ewoks yeah 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 <laughs> so one thought i had uh johnny uh and, and the rest of us is um in this moment, I think that it's the first one of the first times I really genuinely thought to myself, and you know, and yeah, I know we've all seen the animated series and all of those things, but in live action, what is a Jedi? Why are the Jedi the way they are? And what happens, you know? Because I, uh, I, throughout my entire childhood, always kind of thought of the Jedi as this idealistic uh, form of a human being that was pure and almost perfect in a way. And suddenly we start having Luke here that is just the total antithesis of that. Um, at least initially when I was in the theater. And that, that, was, that was just one of the many thoughts that went through my mind here. So what is a Jedi? And why do the Jedi act the way they do? And is it just all false? I think that's the that's ultimately the conflict Luke has for himself, and I think it's still a, 
I mean, without getting into shows that may or may not be airing <laughs> at, this, <laughs> at this moment, it's still, I think it is, I mean, Luke definitely grapples with that concept. Cause I think, and cause he is fed this, you think about, you know, his life. He, I don't even know if he re, like, it's not really even clear if he knew what a Jedi was before Obi-Wan tells him in a new hope. So all he's been fed is this, you know, very idea that very idealistic this pure view of the jedi um until next thing next thing he knows oh i am a jedi i am this pure excellent great and then you see and i think it's that contrast between what he thinks he's supposed to be and the reality which is that you we see the stories of more jedi we see they're full of flaws they're full of failures they're not perfect and i think it's when luke holds himself up to this idea of perfection and then realizes he can't attain that and what that led him to do. Um, I think that's kind of what breaks him. It's not just, you know, that Ben turns from him, you know, it's just that, you know, it highlights that he is not the perfect Jedi. And I don't, yeah. I don't think he can handle that. In a sense, that's what Anakin was dealing with from the very beginning. Was the sense of not of not um, measuring up and just being very, very different from and just not not being pure. And that eventually needing to be that he was that he had to be dark side, uh, the, the dark side. When, you know, it, it, Luke here is introducing some form of gray and i know that that's kind of a loaded term in this in this in this story sure, but, but i've but i but i just mean that it's uh that, that it's that's moral grayness that that he's that he's bringing to the table here yeah no, the I... concept the concept of the darkness and john that's a great point is like the concept of the darkness and the light right as two separate beings without really the idea that there's something in between, which we start to see with Ahsoka Tano in The Clone Wars. Um, we start to see a little bit with Kanan in Rebels Up. Sorry. Uh, spoil- spoilers for uh, well, he's, for, yeah. for, all, for all, all the animated series. Um, but, you know, this is the first time we're really seeing it in live action, the gray. And, it ha- and when you see something in live action, it just has such a more visceral effect. One and that's I think that's a theme throughout the whole like that gets a theme that gets even better explored once you bring Kylo into the picture in this and that because Ray initially has that very black and white oh you're evil like which makes sense like when they initially start connecting which is like probably the best purely Ryan Johnson like Star Wars decision he made is to like give them the ability like create or have them do that force projection to each other um, but uh but the and slowly and this is what i love about this movie or the part of this movie that i love i should say is how they challenge each other and there's a push and pull between them and ray's like oh well maybe it's and that's like tied in with luke because slowly we see different perspectives of what happened the night that uh, Kylo, like Luke went in to possibly kill Kylo and then Kylo burns it on the temple. But slowly there's this push and pull with Ray and Kylo until you get to the throne room scene 
and there's like and then you finally get a moment where they're oh, at least I thought they were there was an option for both of them to say no we're not going to follow either of these like entities the resistance or the uh, first order and we're going to start our own thing that's going to be separate uh and that almost that was a very a really interesting uh or at least reaching that point was very interesting they obviously didn't go with that even in this movie but um i i com- i completely agree with that point and I think going off of another really amazing part of this movie and sort of, you know, talking about the next part that I think is is really positive is when Luke gives three lessons. And so then, so Ray is then going through all of this stuff, like right? she's trying to get his attention. Chewie even breaks into his hut, right? And he fought, and then there's this moment where Ray's sleeping, and Luke suddenly is like, "In the morning, three lessons, and I will show you why why the Jedi need to end." That was another shocking moment where it's like he's going to train her a little bit, with the whole point being the Jedi need to not exist. That's another wild concept. But I, I even think that I, I don't think that Luke is totally convinced of that. Like he, oh, definitely not. Yeah, right. Like that's not, hence why he decided to train her. But yes, and then you also see it at the tree with Yoda. Yes, you know he's going in there. Like he tells Yoda, "I'm going to burn it all down. I'm going to, I'm going to end it all." And he, he, he stops. He has his, you know, torch. He's about to go in there, and. You know, Yoda puts him. I think all of us in our place. Uh, um, Yoda just says, "Bet." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Yoda, yeah. he just or he comes in and he, you know, just delivers wisdom. Like you know, being a Jedi is not about what's in those books. It's not about you know. In in some ways, the lessons Yoda has come to through his own faults and failures, you know. As we see, I'm trying to think where we kind of get into. It. I guess you get into this a little bit in Rebels, but even Yoda kind of acknowledges the role he played in failing the Jedi Order as its Grand Master throughout the Clone Wars and how the Jedi lost their ways. Um, as he's trying to pass on that, you know, it's character, it's you know, doing what's right. That's what makes a Jedi. It's not strict adherence to this, you know. Jedi code or whatever, whatever's in those books, um, right? Like the line he says is like, I'm, like what, whatever you think Ray needs to know from those books, she already has. Page turners, they are not. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it also possibly my favorite scene in the whole movie, uh, partially for nostalgic reasons, um, but also partially because I think it's a a payoff on Luke's character arc a little bit. Um, but we can get to that after we uh, talk about some of the other parts of the movie. Uh, I do want to just say on Luke, he's and Ray. They're, I think, the humor in their relationship is is underrated. Like for as much as Luke is kind of is very obviously very cynical, he's funny. Like he has a lot. Of, he has a lot of kind of funny, uh, yeah, cynical. But like like 
I I kind of like his sarcasm in a lot of the uh a lot of the movie. He has a lot, it, like a lot of Mark Hamill really coming through. Yes, because um, that's kind of the sense of humor he brings to a lot of what he does. And, and Ray Ray's like Ray's really she has a lot of good humor too. Like when after we see his like his like Luke's routine and she's just kind of going like going off at like why when you teach me like it's like i i've seen I, i've seen your daily routine you're not busy oh, i know <laughs> like <it's... laughs> there was great chemistry like, i love that picture that came out during filming of uh daisy ridley giving mark hamill a piggyback yes. ride like uh <laughs> luke did with yoda um also impressive strength there uh yes holding him up it's when i became a uh a big Daisy Ridley fan is, and uh, was was sort of throughout all this movie. I actually, you know, I think she's one of the big positives to come away from the sequel trilogy. Yes. Um, uh, you know, th- obviously Adam Driver, of course, but I, I think Daisy Ridley was a, a big positive as well. Speaking of Adam Driver, that the shirtless scene was a choice. <laughs> I know that was, that was very. It you just could put on funny. a cowl. Right. Ben <laughs> it's just, I'm I'm not complaining, but it's 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 it is it's pretty funny that like they somebody said, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> What's well, even funnier that you know because that's very much not like a Star Wars thing. No. <laughs> where well, also that you know Ray calls it out in the moment. Like, do you have a towel? Do you have something you can put on? Um, you know, kind of making fun of him. Like, that's not really the type of humor that Star Wars gets into very often. Almost no, I, never, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because we have, you know, we have both Leia and Padme, but that wasn't really played for humor. No. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's funny. It, it's often funny, but not because it's supposed to be. <laughs> uh, not good. <laughs> uh, so one scene that really really stuck out to me um and it's sort of going in chronological order um and it it probably the first really big controversial scene um and you know i think we're all thinking about the leia uh forced utilizing scene where uh she she flies back into the the ship um the 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 mary poppins scene (laughs) mary poppins scene so just my original, my original thought on it's probably a little different than my current thought on it. Um, originally, I thought it was kind of tacky and a little out of place. Um, my now thought is it was a really cool addition to the movie that was still very tacky um, and kind of kind of weird. Um, but kind of cool to show the Skywalker. Uh, to show to show the the Skywalker uh bloodline and and how the Force can be utilized by different people. Um, that was the big takeaways. The Force isn't just utilized by only Jedi or only people who are clearly Force trained. It's also utilized by people in moments like that. Although tacky, very much so. I'd mostly agree with that. The tricky thing with that scene is she she probably. They probably should have just killed her there. Um, I mean, I I get that. I think she had died after obviously they were done production, but 
before it came out. Yeah. 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 That's why I was shocked. I thought that they had changed it, that that was going to be how they um, handled that. Um, And and, and I, I, I really, really love her as in Luke's scene at the end of the movie, but it, it doesn't, well, maybe this gets back to what comes later. It doesn't do anybody any favors, but um, it, 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 it was an opportunity for an out that they didn't end up taking. Yeah, well, because, I mean, you'd, you'd lose the Luke and Leia scene at the end. Right, it. and that's pro- that, that might be worth, that's probably worth it. I'm fairly certain Mark yeah. Hamill would have killed everybody at Disney if they had taken <laughs> that. Um, yeah. But I think, I mean, because well, the whole scene, it ends up being... Because you do somewhat need to, for this plot to go the way it goes, they had to get Leia out of the way so that you can essentially have, Leia this... would, Poe would not have done his plan if Leia was in the picture. Um, right, so instead you get one of probably the most annoying character in the movie, <laughs> with Holdo. Vice Admiral Plot Armor. Um, yes. <laughs> um because, yeah, like I said, Poe would never disobey, or I guess he would disobey Leia, but he would trust Leia. He doesn't trust Holdo. Um, and Holdo, she doesn't She really, doesn't help herself with that. <laughs> she, she doesn't help herself with the trust. Um, like, I thought she was supposed to be, like, I felt like the first time watching it, I didn't know if I was supposed to think she was a traitor or not. And I don't know if, like, like, I just, I never understood what, I was supposed to feel about her, and I don't think that was the point. Well, I I'm honestly forgetting the the like the logistics of who kind of came out on top as 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 who was right about the best thing to do between Poe and Holdo. But like, aren't we ge- like generally going to suspect whoever's like going against our POV character as like having like bad intentions yes. because because mm-hmm. she's trying to stop him from uh doing what he's gonna do and like obviously he's he's right because you know he's brash and and that's and that's and that's kind of a star wars hero thing to be right right so. and i i like that they challenged that like a brash star wars hero and i liked how leia did it but like the, I guess the big thing with Holdo is just, and this is a, just a, at a plot level, why didn't she just tell them her plan? I mean, yeah, like, it, people might have been skeptical, but everyone finds out anyways, so why doesn't she just tell them they're going to flee to the planet and try and call for help? Because like the that, movie I, doesn't happen if she does. Right, and that's why this plot shouldn't either shouldn't exist or should be... <laughs> In a different movie or TV show, a lot of people like have have issues with you know kind of def- deferring to people under them by saying like, "Well, I don't have to tell you, so I'm not going to tell you." And I got I got that kind of um, sense from her is that she was just like, "I, I get to know because I'm in charge," so there. Sort of, especially because she really looked down on Poe because they were just completely opposite personalities. It was overplayed, to be yeah. honest, that, which was part of the problem. And I think I think they were trying really hard to make Holdo this strong 
really independent character who didn't really give a a romp about yeah. what what anyone else sort of thought and like her plan was going to be the best plan and she didn't have time for people that were sort of big shots yeah that's and, that's a better way of saying what i was trying to say yeah it's just you know it's unfortunate because i the one of my all-time favorite scenes in all of star wars is actually uh the the uh you know the light speed uh break of uh of um snoke's uh command ship which i think is such a i think it's one of the few times in star wars that we actually see a uh are able to watch a scene that is meant to be a, a in some ways a piece of art um just mm-hmm. with how they how they portray it on the screen um but other than that i think holdo is over overplayed and kind of on in some ways slightly unnecessary up until the final moments but anyway visually that scene is stunning and and what oh yeah i wish to cut out the sound was also superb yeah Yeah, they did some theaters did have to put a sign on the door the sound is supposed to go out at a certain point in the movie. Because apparently, <laughs> apparently they were getting complaints. Everybody thought it was broken. That's funny. Um, but yeah, Holdo, I, she does kick off the whole thing. Um, this whole uh, second story, if we want to start getting into this. Um, with uh, Poe and Finn and Rose um, catching their uh, somewhat crazy plan um you know which is it's ultimately it's a it's a crazy plan it does get us to canto bite and it did seem like you know it seemed like there was a war profiteering i mean obviously there was a war profiteering message that was you know the filmmaker wanted to get across ryan johnson wanted to get across it does just seem very disconnected and and maybe part of the reason like for me the second story kind of falls flat is because at the end of the movie, it does all end up for not like, you know, Oh yeah. Because like, you know, they could have just stayed on the ship with uh Holdo and the movie probably ends up in the same place yes. where it would, it would have, had they not got, gone on this whole side quest. Um, and yeah, good. you do good. Yeah. Go Johnny. Now think about it. Everyone ends up in the same. Yeah. Now that I think about it, you remove, you remove them leaving the ship and nothing changed. Pretty much nothing changes. I mean, as far the as the end of the movie. Well, the only thing would be they needed, um, Benicio del Toro's character whose name escapes me. Um, did he, did he get a name? I, 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 in my notes, I just called him Benicio del Toro. I forgot his, I think he, I don't know if he gets a name. I, I know forget. he. I'm sure he, he has, has one, name. but I don't know if it's set on screen, which maybe is why I can't remember it. Um, but he is the one that tells the first order to look for small ships, which is, I believe something that he over, he overheard Poe tell Finn that they were loading the transports. So maybe oh, that's I mean, true. So it is like, a, it's a very small point, but it is a point that could be worked around somewhat. I, all right, my thing with the whole B plot is it, it's just boring. I don't really care about it, and I think that Canto Bite, like this, should have been the more plotty, like plot heavy section where yeah. we get more about the war, 
or or if they want to do an empire, then it's a really specific character quest of some sort that's a little more fast paced, mate probably, but like it, it has like a specific meaning for the characters or something. Uh, but in general, has more plot, and I think Canto Bite is a. I really like the concept. And I, but it just, it felt like, you're from Matthew, it felt disconnected. It should have been its own TV show or a different movie or something. Hey, we, totally... we learned right. that um, war profiteering is bad. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that. <laughs> I think it was just too long, to be honest. Like, that, that too. But... I, I think, I think other Star Wars movies have... Maybe maybe not equivalent. I, I will say I agree with you guys that you could pretty much get rid of most of the plot line. It wouldn't make a big difference to the movie. Um, I do think it's trying to push forward the, the character development of Poe and Finn. Um, okay, but what which, character development does Finn actually get in this movie besides... Yeah, what I, character but, development but, does Finn get in the whole sequel trilogy? Well, yeah, he, he he gets done dirty, like, on the... He, he gets the most done dirty. In his, oh, are we talking uh, about Finn? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know <laughs> if he gets done the most dirty when you look at... Well, Ro- fast, Rose's screen, t- screen time oh, in the <laughs> Skywalker. All... <laughs> What was it? Fifteen seconds of screen time. Um, the general wants me to stay back and fix the ships. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I, I, I do think there's. I've always been a little more uh, lenient towards Cantabite because, and the, and the only reason I I am is I understand what they were trying to show. They were trying. They were trying to pull, prove this duality between leaders. And, and hot shots, right? The hot shots are going to go try to do something risky that's not going to pan out. And then the planners being Leia and Holdo, the real leaders are going to come up with the real plan, right? That was the concept behind it. Well, uh, yeah, but, but, but you don't need to do Cantobite to do that because that's Poe's thing. And I well, totally agree with that. But that you can do something totally different that's not Cantobite because Poe isn't even on Cantobite and that's supposed to be his arc. I yes, I I would agree. I think, and it's trying it's trying to tie together this this sort of hot streak spirit. Um, the problem is Cantabite is just way too long. Uh, I don't think it really pushes forward any character development for Rose or Finn, and it creates an unnecessarily long movie. Um, in that regard, but. I understand what they were trying to do with it. I just don't think the execution was that great. Yeah, and also Finn and Rose are not the characters that need to like learn about the bad things the Resistance and the First Order are doing. Like, like both. Oh, Finn should. Well, Finn, Finn absolutely should. No, he he already does. No, no. Like, what, what I mean by uh, let, let me rephrase that. That Finn was already. I guess well, no, I guess like yeah, Finn, when we see Finn at the beginning of the movie and kind of the whole way, he's not in the resistance necessarily by choice. Yeah, that, okay. you know, yeah, that's he's true. escaped from there, and in a lot of ways, you do. I guess there is some growth here for Finn because when you when we see him again in this movie, 
and how he meets Rose is he's trying to peace out. He's trying to leave. He's trying to get away from the resistance. And then you see him come on this journey, and he is somewhat offered a choice by Benicio del Toro when they do have that scene of, oh, who owned this vessel? Oh, guy that sold weapons to uh, the bad guys and the good guys. And he tells him, you know, the best way to do this is don't join, which is what Finn has been trying to do kind of since uh, Maz's castle in The Force Awakens. He was trying to leave. Um, you know, he was going to run away from the First Order, and then he's trying to run away again. And then at the, you know, in his final climactic moment, you know, he's like, yeah, no, I'm rebel scum. And he's he's all in. So he does go on that journey. That, that, okay, that that's fair. Then I'll, I'll I'll rescind that. But it does not. I don't know how we get there is not interesting or compelling as far as Finn's character. Like I, I would have wanted different trappings around how we no. get there. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Again, the, the yeah the execution yeah. is bad as as you said. Um, and maybe I should too to say that um, he should be. That this is stuff that he should be reckoning with, not necessarily yes. learning about. Yes. But that's a better word. Yes, mm-hmm. that, that leads us to another wasted character. Uh, the person he says the rebels come line to Phasma, who gets like five minutes of screen time oh, and yeah. one fight in which she dies. Poor Gwendolyn <laughs> didn't deserve this. Yeah, I and I think. Oh god, I was going to say I remember like in the lead up to the Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams said that like Gwendolyn Christie was like the most impressive actor in the cast. Um, it's like, where? Like, I mean, she's an impressive actress, but like, where did you, if she's the most impressive, where'd you put her? Like, you cut her out of almost the entire movie, and then, you know, same thing round two. Yeah, and I think, I think she falls prey, unfortunately, to, um, trying, trying to add a, 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 trying to create a, a, a diverse progressive cast, right? Where they, they use, they use Phasma as an advertising piece, sort of giving her a token. It's almost tokenism in a role, in a way where they wanted to create this strong villain, and then they pretty much don't know what to do with her. So what do they do? Pretty much nothing. Uh, and I think I think it's unfortunate. I would say it's more the Boba Fett thing than like the cast thing than like wanting to make a, a, a casting choice. Like it's it's more of the she's the cool looking antagonist that doesn't really have a character in the trilogy and never and doesn't really go anywhere except with Boba Fett. Like they, he's introduces this cool. He wasn't ever supposed to be anything major in that trilogy, at least. And Phasma was introduced as a at least a big antagonist for Finn at the start of movie one and never goes anywhere with that. But Boba Fett's don't even really work anymore, I don't think. So they were kind of DOA there. Don't worry. In 30 years, we'll get the book of Captain Phasma. (sighs) (laughs) We're not going into this. (laughs) Although I do have many thoughts on this. Yes, Brian and I have hashed this out quite extensively. And you know, you know, I kind of like the book of Boba Fett. And I wish it didn't exist, but... (laughs) I I am fully aware of that. Yes. Anyways. Uh, So, one other thing I wanted to bring up about Phasma is 
I think I think she also plays falls into that category of um they they chose the characters they wanted to be prominent in the be- before the trilogy even started and then realized that they didn't know what to do with them and then they just sort of like she was being advertised as one of the main villains before the movies even came out um and, and so I feel like she's another one that got really jipped off, um, especially because uh, Gwendolyn's a great, she's a great actress, um, and it, it's a cool concept. Um, albeit, I think this is more prevalent throughout the whole trilogy. I don't think, or at least the first two movies, I don't think this is just The Last Jedi problem. No, I think that a lot of that is a sequel trilogy macro problem. <laughs> Yeah, of, of just there wasn't a plan. Yeah, um, I mean, you do kind of see it just even in the main, like uh, the big three protagonists, Ray, Finn, Poe. You know, you kind of you sit back and they kind of draw attention to it in this movie. You've gone two movies and two of your big three have not met. Um, you know, oh, Poe yeah. has to, <laughs> Poe has to introduce himself to Ray at the end of the uh, second movie. And this is supposed to be your core, which I think also weakened. Um, we, we're not going to get into Rise of Skywalker yet, but um, yes, is the answer I think to what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, another moment that really struck me throughout uh, throughout the movie is not to take this back to Octo, but it's more of a general concept beyond defining what what a Jedi is or isn't, or thinking about, or cracking that open. Also, I think there was a small moment that really struck me, was when Luke explained sort of what the Force was um, to Rey. Why well, I love uh, that sort, scene. <laughs> I, it, how it's pervasive through all living things. It's not a power that you have, right? And yeah, it's been mentioned before, but I didn't think it was offered in such clarity. Um, and I thought that was a really high high point of that of the movie, the clarity that Luke offered in a lot of different ways, actually. Yeah, because Obi Wan had said like that it, it uh, moves through us, which is kind of saying that too. But it's that that's been quoted so often that the the meaning kind of slips away. Um, so was, so yeah, that was good for him to clarify it in that way. And then. Going off of that, um, the uh, connection that on uh, th- with the Force on um, on uh, why for some reason the planet is escaping me. Why why is this happening? Uh, no, 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 that they go the, off. No, the desert planet that they go Dirt. to at the very end. I'm sorry. Right. Oh, crate, crate, crate. I'm sorry. I forgot that um when when luke talks to leia um i think that was such a powerful moment and then hands the dice to her um you know the power of the force and how the force works and how it's pervasive um i think the movie really pushed forward the possibilities of the force and what it is capable of in the right hands in the right ways 
Yes, which, okay, sidebar on that. Did the dice exist prior to this movie, or was that like a marketing thing for Solo? <laughs> no, they existed. They were... They were original trilogy. They were, yeah, they were in the Millennium Falcon. Oh, They okay, were in the I'm... Millennium Falcon. I think they just, like, the physical props were there, but they never just, by angles, they never show up on screen. Oh, uh-huh. all right. Okay, never mind. But they're in behind-the-scenes photos. Um, okay. But it's still something of an odd choice because they were – I had never seen them before the movie. Um, but – because I think originally those were supposed to be – before they figured out what Sabak was, they, I guess that's how – those were the dice he used in Sabak to win the Falcon before they decided it was a card game. Oh. Huh. Okay. Okay. Uh I just yeah, I think pushing forward that the force and and the Jedi and how how all of that is you know pervasive, but also you know doesn't have to be black and white, kind of like life in a way. That was another thing I was thinking. It's just like not to bring that be the stereotypical bring things back to the big picture, and how does it relate to me? But the world's kind of gray in a lot of ways, and so. Seeing the movie being gray in a lot of ways was really cool. No, I, I think that was intentional. Like, in that, that's yep. Ryan Johnson looked at Star Wars and part of the subvert what he was. Sub, yes, like the phrase at this point, the phrase subverting genre tropes or expectations is very overused, but it's he was trying to subvert this idealized, as we talked about, idealized version and say, no, like, that's not how things work like it's not often that clear cut um and i think that the discussion he engages with that with luke and what luke's saying is worthwhile and important yep absolutely now did anyone have any thoughts on that and something that's always kind of confused me is the 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 finn rose finn ray I guess well, I don't really bad bases. I don't think. Well, Finn and Rose. Is, Finn and Rose. I don't. Not the short answer to that is no. Other than that, Finn and Rose are. It's a dumb romance. It's not really a romance. <laughs> I I just like it. Just wasn't clear what the the obvious intentions were. Because I don't. Um, I, <laughs> go ahead. I, you know. At, Star Wars always has strange romances, as we are abundantly aware. Um, but they, they never really committed to anything, right? And that was just an odd choice to me. Um, like they made like ro- they made Rose almost like a simp, which like to like an emotionally detached man. Yeah, totally. Which I thought, which I thought was like kind of unfortunate, uh, especially yes. I, I, against the the grain of the movie. Um, it, it just seemed really out of place to me. I feel really, really bad uh, for for Rose, both as a character and you know, and and also as an actress. It just you know, you're you're giving crap like that. You don't really, you don't really have a shot. Still shocking that doesn't win worst kiss of the trilogy. Uh, well, because it all, it also comes with that like that's how we're gonna win, not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. Line, and it's so dumb. And uh, like, 
or maybe not like the line itself is like, but like how it's the context and everything about that scene is. Uh, it's, it's a bad that's su- that's such false profundity. Yeah, <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I think the other, like again, Ryan Johnson just you get a twist, you get a twist, you get a twist. Like I was like watching that, I was like, okay, I'm actually like this is gonna be sad, but this is such a noble thing for Finn to do. Like Finn is going to save the resistance here by sacrificing himself. And then, nope. Um, yeah, I thought that would have been a really cool moment for Finn. Um, and going back to what I was saying about him committing to being in the resistance instead of trying to run away the whole time. It would have been very difficult to make a choice that would have been worse, resulted in a worse showing for Finn in this movie. Yes. I do want to go back a minute and just say that the throne room scene, I don't think I have probably like the moment I might, maybe the moment I've been most excited for in any Star Wars movie in a theater in terms of just the like instant and how it was shot is after Kylo kills Snoke and they and light and the lightsaber slowly comes to Ray and there's the slow motion shot of them turning their backs of Ray and Kylo turning their backs on each other as the Praetorian guard are closing in. And then Brilliant. It, yeah. Oh, yes. And then it cuts into like normal speed. And it's it's so cool. It's so well done. I I I I rewatch um Snoke's death. It's 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 such an awesome scene. Um the only thing that uh, the only reason I don't call it like brilliant is because uh, it doesn't lead anywhere good. But that's a agreed. <laughs> that's a that's a, that's kind of a, a future side thing and a different movie thing. If if, if uh, I forget who said it earlier um, about like um, Kylo and Ray potentially started something new, starting something new. If that had happened, then it would have been utterly brilliant, and it, it, because it would have been a subversion with a purpose. Yes, that's what I was thinking. That's what I that's what I was thinking they were going to maybe go with. And then quickly they did not, but yeah. Yeah, I mean I, like the the whole build up between those two it is very back and forth. You know, and you you know, you see it like as it progresses. We were talking about this earlier, you know, Ray the first you know, she calls him a murderous snake and then they start to they build this empathy towards each other. You know, she understands why, you know, at a certain level, why Kylo has turned out the way he has. Um, and there's this great faith they put in each other enough to the point where they will fight and defend each other. Um, you know, only to come to that, you know, conflict again, you know, it's kind of, it comes full circle. They go this, you know, full range of emotion uh, towards each other to the point where they become enemies again. Because mm-hmm. they, they just reach an impasse. And in a lot of ways, Kylo and Rey, it, it sort of sets off this cascade to um, down the line in Star Wars, are are symbolic of the new, of what I consider the new generation of, uh, of, of Star Wars. In that they are far less one-dimensional than I think some of the other characters, including my favorite characters in the Star Wars universe, have been in the past. 
Um, they're more complicated. There's more going on. Um, and I think, I think this movie does a really good job highlighting the tensions and confusion and all of the emotions that they feel when they're cont- uh, communicating with each other. And to Johnny's point, some of those brilliant scenes in the movies, uh, in this movie, and then also throughout the movies, are, are these visions of each other. It's just, it's brilliantly done. Or, or to John's point, it's not quite brilliant, but it's really great. Yeah, it's really, it's, 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 it's fun. The very baseline fun as heck. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I think, John, to your point, that's why after, initially I thought, oh, this is all so cool in terms of the uh, subversions and different decisions Ryan Johnson made. made. But to that point, and to Matthew's point, both with time independent, like, of this just as a movie and also with what comes after it doesn't it doesn't end up there doesn't end up being a greater purpose for some of those choices um well especially because you look at the big choice that comes out of the throne room scene you know with raid's parentage like parentage it's like yeah your parents were nothing you know they're dead which is a great choice (laughs) especially you know when you're sitting there in the theater after two years of, is she a Kenobi? Is she a Skywalker? Is she this? Then, you know, you're, everybody's got like, you know, their crazy person room with red string connecting all these theories. It's like, no, they were nobodies. Um, the one just like, you know, pull that one real quick, but then just kind of realizing like, especially like what I love that meant for the force of that, like, no, it's not all tied to who your parents were. It wasn't, it's not, you know, it's this much bigger thing with its own will. It's not this, you know, you know, getting away from the M word. Um, if, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> which I, I think is, that that's the type of stuff, and, you know, certain series that are on right now are exploring that concept, and I really like it. And then, you know, we know what comes next. Uh, but one more thing, I just got to throw it in on the... Uh, on the throne room scene, because there's a lot of criticism that gets lobbed at this scene, calling Ray a uh, quote Mary Sue for her performance here. Um, I think this. I'm a huge fan of when a character's fighting style is a very great tool for you know portraying their character, and she's not like a Mary. She's not overpowered. Um, she really doesn't yep. know what she's doing in this. She, she struggles a bit. She she struggles, but she like you can see like it's kind of her natural force talent. She is you know she's got the experience with the quarter step, but it's very it seems to me very deliberate that this is still a novice um, in all of this. You know, kind of fighting out of this pure passion um, and just instinct. Uh, contrast to Kylo Ren, who is you know very proficient, very formally trained um but i just thought the portrayal i thought that the choreography it felt deliberate it felt smart and it felt right and uh i don't know i don't, I don't like when i hear that argument about that scene it's like no it was very very good on all levels also keep in mind this and not talking about the last movie where maybe it gets a little out of hand uh well a lot out of hand uh ray actually has you know to matt's point you know, she she has a lot of talent with a quarter staff already, right? Fighting with a with a lightsaber is not going to be a wildly different experience for her. So she's already has skills that others may not have before they start training or even during their training uh, from a traditional Jedi sense. 
So I think the argument that she's overpowered in this movie or, you know, doing things without training that are totally ridiculous, I think it's a little overstated. Now, I'm not defending some of the things that happen in other other areas of the Star Wars universe, but I think I think it's a I think it's a harsh I think it's a very harsh critique. So I guess going on to the uh, the final showdown on crate. So yeah, let's get into this. This is kind of the big climax of the movie: the resistance craft on crate, and you know Luke seemingly appearing out of crate, literally appearing out of nowhere to face down Kylo Ren in one of the uh, to do exactly what he said he was not going to do at the beginning of the <laughs> film. Um, you know, where he asked, "What do you want me to do?" walk out with a laser sword and face down the entire first order. Um, and then he proceeds to walk out with a laser sword and face down the entire first order. Um, but more sort importantly, of. in a way from a certain point of view, um, but then he gets this very, you know, this resolution to this relationship with Kylo Ren that is entirely seen through flashback. We, we don't get to see a direct interaction between them ever but we learn about this relationship and here they come in you know the climax of the movie to face each other um so just want to hear what you guys think about that never thought about it like that before but it does the the flashbacks do offer uh, a lot of uh tension that that gets that gets released in that uh or I guess it, yeah, at the beginning of it, there's some tension, and then it, it it gets released as as we go through the scene. Initially, when I watched the scene, I thought I was a little bit a little bit disappointed because I just I, I did kind of want to see a little bit of Luke being like just a boss, but but like as as I've upon like further rewatches, the scene grows on me every time I watch it. Um, it, it, it fits better with the themes of what Ryan Johnson wanted to explore, and the the like dialogue writing of it is really. I mean, yeah, Luke's final monologue of every last every word you just said is wrong. Yes. Um, oh yes. Which is very it's very powerful, and it also just it kind of shows the return. Well, really, not even like a return to the Luke we know, but a growth of the Luke we know to kind of embrace the power that exists in control you know where he you know he could have you know pulled the x-wing out of the water flown there and you know struck down kylo but instead you know he you know summons all the power of the force you know a feat that you know again very good foreshadowing by ryan johnson and the you know the writers here to have kylo ren say at the beginning of the movie you're not doing this the effort would kill you yeah um to force it to show how difficult a feat this is, um, to be able to summon all his force, and in kind of again something that's come in with more Jedi since then is finding that moment where you're needed the most. You know, because we see that with Kanan, we see that with Ezra, and we find Luke, who you know, despite the influence he's had on galactic history, he finds this one moment to summon all his power to, uh, you know that's the moment he's needed the most and he finds his role in all this. And you really, you can even take that like Obi-Wan, you know, when he get when he sacrifices himself, it's like, that's the moment he needed to be in. He needed to bring Luke and Leia together. Um, 
and then it's where Luke kind of finds his peace there. Yeah, that is a really cool uh, parallel. Yeah, didn't no, think like about that, that either. A it's lot, a great parallel. And, and even just the building, and from the film perspective of that scene, is great. Like Luke's, then the buildup is like the tension is palpable, especially with the music, particularly how the music crescendos and like of just Luke walking out to face them is is real that like is brilliant one other thing because i remember watching this the first time how like clear the answer was to what was going on from the moment luke appears because he looks very different he's holding a lightsaber that we just you know 10 minutes earlier saw get destroyed um and how even how blinded by rage kylo is to not figure it out you know he sees luke pulls a lightsaber that he just destroyed and Kylo's not even thinking, Oh, something's up here. Yeah. the great editing choices of like, of like Luke, not moving the uh, sand at all. Yes. And it, uh, that, yes, I, that is just so brilliant. And like how, how he like moves to, um, like how he like brushes the dust off of his shoulder I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a great moment. Fantastic. But it is interesting because when he he's fair, and it's obviously because it, in part because it's a projection of him, but he he moves pretty deftly. Like he moves like very pretty agile, ad, ad agilely. Yeah, but like he he's pretty agile in the fight. Uh, so I it it does it almost makes you want like a fight fight but obviously the whole point of the scene is he can't they can't touch each other <laughs> is the point yeah. yeah it does really work and his the the hover meditation is really cool oh uh, for sure it's it's brilliant how he looks one way when he's doing the uh his meditation he looks like he's sweating he's exerting himself he looks like he's giving it everything he has and when he's on crate he looks totally different yeah, he looks uh, like idealized almost. Yeah, he looks like a vibe. A what? He looks like a vibe. Like oh, he's just... sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. Like he look he looks he looks as calm and collected as you possibly could be under the circumstances. And I think yeah, it's no. just a really great comparison point. No, yeah, well, and, yeah, and to, to John Twain, he's like he's idealized, and he, that that's the Luke. That we thought we were going to see when we met, when we like met. Exactly. Him. Yeah. Like he, like he, he looks a lot cleaner. Circle. Yeah. Uh, also, the binary sunset theme is a good touch for his death. Or yes, I know, and that's the the binary sun. It's just perfect. Anything? Oh uh, well, I mean the I, ironic that basically the last I think it's the last image of the movie is the Jedi kid that. Is teasing some sort of resistance that we, of course, never see again. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean with the broom? Yeah, so the broom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last scene of the movie is something that doesn't go where it's supposed to. Yeah, it's fitting. This it, yes. isn't going to go the way you think. Yeah, that was a very interesting like final because it seemed like because you had like the traditional Star Wars ending, everybody's yes. on the ship, the fan first playing, and then it kind of again it cuts out. And you, you know, get this very odd, very unique little theme there. 
Um, but I think like it does, I guess the final thought it left me with was like, you know, this galaxy is still so much bigger than anything we've seen on screen. And there's so many more stories to be told, um, going forward. Yeah. Unfortunately, the writers did not, did not agree with you, but we can, that is a, (laughs) that turn next time. (laughs) As far as uh, different stories to be told, but. (laughs) I would take too many chances. (laughs) Yes. Uh, any other thoughts? Oh, also Gareth Edwards is one of the, this is one of our cameos, right? In his, one of the soldiers in, on the, on the not, uh, yes. Battle of Hoth. <laughs> yes. It, yeah, the, yes. The not Battle of Hoth. That is correct. Yeah. Gareth Edwards is there and Ryan Johnson is in the hallway scene with Vader in Rogue One. So I guess oh, that was, I'll have to check that. that. He's the one that I think, uh, I think he like, he's the one that pulls the lever and like yells launch or something. That might be him. Or I don't know. He's somewhere in there. Right. I, I guess that was that. their quid pro quo. <laughs> I'll, I'll put you in mine. You put me in yours. That's funny. Any other final thoughts? Not I. Yeah, um, you guys really opened up my eyes in a lot of different ways. Uh, Thanks for, this was a really productive uh, conversation. Yeah, no. That was good. Just going to acknowledge the use of the original Princess Leia recording was, uh, I remember that one giving me chills in the theater uh, to pull that one out. And the help me Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Yes. Was, uh, yeah. Very good move. And then also, Kylo Ren's tie silencer is the best tie design. The um, it's that 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 scene visually is very cool when he attacks Leia's ship. Yes, he tries spinning. It was a great trick. Yes. <laughs> ha 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 ha. There was another visual thing. Oh, I also love, this is totally random, but I really like the choice to just get rid of his helmet right away. <laughs> oh, yes. Let, let the past die. And then, uh, yeah, bring it right back. Yeah, yes, yes, to be brought back. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe The Rise of Skywalker will be the, uh, the more interesting podcast. Yeah, I'll be, we'll see if it has any, uh, defenders. <laughs> uh, as a teaser yeah all right well oh yeah that's been our this has been our discussion on star wars episode 8 the last jedi um at some point we will, we will be returning for uh the last two for solo and rise of skywalker uh but until next time uh, this has been the acolyte of merlin i'm johnny and with me is matthew John and Brian, and thanks for listening. Mm